Merry Christmas, everyone. So, an unexpected Christmas is what we're talking about here. Uh, let me start this way. Several years ago during the Christmas season, uh, I was experiencing some really, really bad back pain. Uh, my short-term solution was to break my ankle um, to distract me from my back. But um, in time, my foot healed, which is good. But then I was reminded of the pain I was experiencing in my back, which was bad. Now, being a guy, I just chose to ignore it and see if it would improve with age. Finally, it was bothering me so bad, I, knew I just had to go to the, to the doctor. So my hope was that he would say, take these pills for a week, lie down on the couch, watch a whole bunch of football, and by Super Bowl time, you'll be fine. That's what I wanted. But uh, that is not what he told me. He, what he said was, you need to go to the hospital immediately and have an MRI, which sounded really bad. Um, you might need surgery, which sounded even worse. Now, that was not what I wanted to hear, but it was what I needed to hear at that time. So I went to the hospital and I had the MRI. Now, how many people here have experienced the wonderful pleasure of having an MRI? It's delightful. They put you into a cylinder, a tube that's slightly larger than one, a straw for a Slurpee. They close the, the thing behind your head and you have headphones on so they can talk to you from the outside. So it's, how you doing, Mr. Kelly? I'm, I'm doing great. This is fun. Thank you. Thank you. I would want to tell them I hadn't been this freaked out since I got beat up by the nuns in Catholic school. So, <laughs> but I survived that. I survived the surgery and lived to tell the tale. Here's the point. Remember, when I went to the doctor, I wanted him to prescribe pills and football watching. But he gave me not what I wanted, but what I needed. Now, here's the point today. Often there is a huge difference between what we want and what we need. We all know this. We all have experienced this. It happens all the time. You go to the mechanic to get your oil changed, you find out you need a new transmission. It happens. After dinner, you want the dessert, but you want to, you, what you need to do is get the check and go. It happens all the time. Wake up in the morning. You want to roll over and go back to sleep, but what you need to do is get up and meet with God and start your day. You're in a relationship and you want to get out, but you need to stay in or you need to stay in and you need to get out or you want to get out, whatever the case may be. On and on and on, all areas of life. Often there's a huge difference between what we want and what we need. Now, if we're really honest with ourselves, a lot of us can scroll back to a time in our life where we have some kind of regret that can be traced back to a time that we opted for what we wanted rather than what we really needed. You might even be someone who can say, I, I shipwrecked a relationship because I always opted for what I wanted to do rather than what I needed to do. Or opted for a job rather than staying in school because the money looked so good at the time. Some here may have gone to a counselor and they told you what you needed to hear and you didn't like it, so you went and found a counselor who would tell you what you wanted to hear. A lot of people can look back on a chapter of life and realize that they opted for what they wanted rather than what they needed. And they have a regret because of it. In fact, if you're a parent, part of parenting is dealing with this whole dilemma with our kids. Um, a matter of fact, we would consider a parent a bad parent if, we just, if we this parent just gave the kids whatever they wanted rather than what we needed. No, we say, we can't give you everything you want. We have to give you what you need. Too many times. We know what we need, but we don't have the discipline or the courage or the wisdom to carry it out. Uh, back when I was in middle school a couple years ago, 
the first year that I was trusted to buy school lunches rather than mom packing me a lunch to take with me, um, I knew what I needed to get. I needed to get the official school lunch that comes complete with salad and some veggies. That's what I needed. But instead, for the first month of me buying lunches, I ate Krispy Kreme donuts for lunch for a whole month <laughs> because that's what I wanted. I should have bought Krispy Kreme stock in the 70s. But so often we opt for what we want rather than what we need. Now, as I, I read an account of the Christmas story in preparation for this, this message, I realized that all over again, and it'll be the first uh, point that comes up on the screen here in just a moment, which will just be a few thoughts for you to take with you today. Here's the first thing. The beauty of Christmas is that God did not give us what we wanted. Instead, he gave us what we needed. So the people of that day were so convinced they knew exactly what they needed. They needed relief from Roman oppression. It was so obvious. But the people's perspective was limited that they really only knew what they wanted. Now, if we were just to survey this small crowd in the auditorium this morning, and I said, what is it you want from God? Very few people would stare off into space and say, got to get back with you on that. I have no idea. No, pretty much everybody has an answer of some sort about that. I'll tell you what I want, and they'll point to her or, or to him. Or I'll tell you what I want, and they'll point to a certain job they want, or a financial issue, or a marriage situation, or a health situation, maybe even prodigal children. There's stuff that we would point to. Let me tell you what the people in Jesus' day wanted. They were desiring, wanting, praying for, believing for Messiah. And they weren't too different from us, because we want a deliverer. We want a deliverer. Just like they did. They wanted a Messiah, warrior, conquering king. I mean, they remembered back to the, to the heyday of King David. King David was, was the man. He conquered their enemies. He brought prosperity, brought prominence back to Israel. And surely the Messiah would be even better than him, right? He would lower, the Messiah would come and lower taxes, make sure they had food to eat, make sure life was easier, it was better, make sure their kids weren't carried off to slavery. They had a list a mile long of the things that they believed that the Messiah should do for them. So if you ask them what they wanted from God, they would say, I'll, I'll tell you what we want. We want to deliver because life stinks right now. God hasn't answered our prayers in 400 years. And what's the deal with these Romans anyway? I thought we were your people. We are not all that different today. We all have our lists of the things that we think God ought to do. I want to be delivered from these circumstances. I want you to change this health issue. This job issue, this marriage issue, this parenting issue, this conflict issue, whatever it may be. What we want is not that much different from what they wanted 2,000 years ago. And we could take it a step further. Back in, in that day, later on in the Gospels, uh, you read that Jesus constantly has run-ins with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the people who in the Gospel stories are seen as kind of the perennial bad guys. Now, the reason there was ongoing conflict with them is because Jesus was not the kind of Messiah that they wanted. So they crucified him. Well, we don't crucify him, but when God doesn't do what we think he should do, some of us get kind of upset. Matter of fact, maybe the reason some of you may have walked away from church a long, long, long time ago is because you thought God should do this certain thing for you, and he didn't do it, he didn't answer your prayer, or at least he didn't answer your prayer in the way that you thought he should. But fortunately, fortunately, our loving Heavenly Father doesn't give us what we want, but he does give us and has given us in Jesus exactly what we need. 
Now, I want us to go back to the beginning of the Christmas story. Uh, in Matthew's version of it, I'm going to read here starting in verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So this angel appears to Mary to tell her that she's going to have a baby. And this angel doesn't seem to be phased at all by the fact that she is still a virgin. Now this is Gabriel here who hangs around God and he says things like, with God, all things are possible, which is kind of easy for him to say. He doesn't have to have the baby, right? <laughs> but in verse 19, here's what happens. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now their customs back then, very, very different than ours. These were teenagers who had been promised to each other in marriage. And because they were betrothed, which is like being engaged, it was kind of as though they were legally married, which meant if one of them were unfaithful to the other, it would actually be considered adultery, even though they weren't really officially married. So when Joseph finds out that Mary was pregnant, legally he would have to divorce her to end the engagement, which would be a private embarrassment, if not a public humiliation for Mary. But he, doesn't, he wants to honor Mary in some way. He doesn't want to bring any disgrace upon her. And it says a lot about Joseph. And here's what it says in verse number 20. Uh, Joseph, as he considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, the name Jesus means God our Savior or God has saved us. There's a few different ways you can translate that. Now, verse 22. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So this angel says to Joseph here, this child is the long-awaited Messiah, believe it or not. You're going to name him Jesus because he's going to be the Savior. And I can imagine Joseph responding, thank God, it's about to, we've been waiting for someone to come along and do that. We're sick of being a doormat. We're tired. We're, we've had it with Rome. We've had it with taxes, had it with uh, this oppression all the time. We're, we're tired of being the trail through which all other mar uh, armies will march through in order to go to battle and attack each other. It's about time someone came along and saved us. No, 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 Joseph, you don't, you're not hearing me. <laughs> he will come to save you from your sin. He's going to save people from their sins. Not from their circumstances, not from Rome, not from taxation, not from difficult times. He will save his people from their sins. Oh, well, that's it? Yep. It's not really what we wanted. I know, but trust me, Joseph. It is exactly what you need. This is the thing that was so disappointing to people back then. This is what caused many later on to turn their back on Jesus because they weren't convinced that the felt need of the day was someone to come along and save people from their sin. If someone says, says what is your greatest felt need? They weren't saying, I need someone to save me from my sin. That was not the felt need of the day and face it, it is not the felt need of today either. There was a guy who recently made this public statement who said, I don't do sin, I don't do guilt, I don't do shame, I'm just fine. I'm just fine. 
So someone to save me from my sin is not high on the felt need list back then or now. Especially back then, they felt like sin was under control. Sin was not a big deal. There was a system in place that dealt with sin. You just go to the temple, you get a couple of doves, you get a sheep, and you whack them, and you have the priest sprinkle the blood all over everything. You go home and get cleaned up, and sin is taken care of for a while. So they said, we've got sin under control. I don't need someone to come along and save me from my sin. I need you to deal with my in-laws, <laughs> or my husband, or my wife or my prodigal children, or the taxes, financial situations, Romans, whatever. That's what they'd say. That's what they'd say. We're not that much different now. We don't sacrifice sheep anymore, but we've got this mental system in place when it comes to sin, whether we admit it or not. In our minds, there are certain things that we think God considers sin, and we have this sin hierarchy in our brains. There's the big ones, there's the lightning bolt sins, and then there's the sins and then there's the other ones that are like oh well nobody's perfect and those lightning bolt sins are the ones that we don't we don't do anyway we're not, we may not even be tempted to do those things but we see somebody else doing we say god you got to deal with that person it's amazing that god would have patience to deal with somebody like you but we're kind of okay because we stay away from the big three sins in our own mind we think we're in the clear and when we do screw up and we feel really badly about it we, we, we tend to not get worked up because we feel like we're better than, we're okay, we're a little bit better than some other people. And God looks at us and winks at it and says, oh, well, what's that between friends? But other people, totally different story. Here's the truth. The truth is our greatest need always has been and always will be a savior, savior. And as time goes by, I become more and more and more convinced that we make the same mistake as the people in Jesus' day, which is the second point that'll come up here, and it's this one. We have a tendency to underestimate the significance of our sin, and we overestimate the significance of our own personal goodness. Somehow we still believe, in spite of all that we've read and all that we've been told over and over and over and over and over again, that if we do enough good stuff, then we're okay in the sight of God. On his grand scale, if the good outweighs the bad, then we're probably in the clear. And we still compare ourselves to the people around us and say, well, at least I'm better than him. Or I'm better than the people I see on the news. So I'm better than them, but, but I'm not willing to be a missionary. So I'll kind of right in the middle, which is probably a pretty safe place to be. That's probably okay. We severely and sorely estimate the significance of our own sin, and we overestimate the significance of our own personal goodness. Consequently, my greatest felt need is not a savior to come along and save me from my sin. So when we walk into church and we hear somebody say, God sent Jesus to save you from your sin, we go, we yawn and go, that's nice, but what I really need is help with my bills. That's what I feel like I really need. So here's what I want to get across to everyone. Maybe you hear this a lot, maybe you don't. Maybe you're on your annual pilgrimage to church at Christmas time, I don't know. Maybe somebody dragged you, but here's the point, here it is. You remember the uh, old movie, Titanic? In the critical time when everybody's panicking and the ship's starting to go down and everybody's running around for lifeboats, the band comes out and starts to assemble the band out on the deck to play. And as you're watching this 
play out as you're watching the movie, you think, what is the, what is the point of that? You're all going to die. Why worry about tuxedos and sheet music and violins? What you need is a lifeboat. Now, in the same way, for your heavenly father and my heavenly father to send us anything other than a savior would have been like turning up the music or rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Would have been totally irrelevant, totally irrelevant. I mean, what's the point of changing your circumstances here on earth if your eternity is not settled? What's the point of lowering your taxes or getting you married or helping with your finances if your eternity is not settled? So God says, I love you so much. I love you so much that I know what you need is not a more comfortable seat and you don't need more music. You need a savior. You need a savior. Here's the third point. Here's why. When we sinned, when we sinned, we created a debt and debtor relationship with God. We created this debt and debtor relationship with him. See, we can only have a relationship with God on his terms, but the problem is I'm not perfect and neither are you. And my natural response to my imperfection is, well, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. I know people that are a lot worse than me and we do this one. And from this point forward, I'll do a lot better. We love that one. I'll do a lot better. And that might work in my relationship with you, but it does not work with God. When we sinned against him, we created this debt and debtor relationship and somebody has to pay the debt. See, with you, I can say, from this point forward, I'm not gonna do anything else wrong, nothing else bad. Okay, but the elephant in the room is, what about those things I've already done? I've created this offense of cosmic treason against the holy God. Now what? Now what? Now imagine if I stole your phone and I stole your identity. And you find out about it and you say, what's the deal? And I say, well, you know what? I'm, I'm really, really sorry I stole your phone. I stole your identity. I feel really badly about that. And I'm never, ever, ever going to do that again. I promise. To which if you're really nice, you'd say, okay, all right. But like, where's my phone and all the money you stole? Where is it? I said, no, no, no. I said, I said I'd never do it again. I promise I'll never do it again. I'm sorry. Gosh, we can be friends now. Well, that doesn't fly with anyone, does it? Especially with God. We created this debt with God, and in order for me to have a relationship with him, that debt has to be paid, and I can't pay it. I can't pay it. The only way to get square with God is for someone to pay that debt. So you know what I need? I need a Savior. I need a Savior. Like the angel so clearly stated from the skies over Bethlehem that night, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for most of the people. Is that what it says? For all people. It will be great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. God sent us what we needed most. Because here's the uncomfortable truth. I don't need a second chance. I need a savior. I don't need to try harder. I need a savior. I don't need direction. I need a director. I don't need an improvement of life. I need someone to give me life. I need a savior. So on the first Christmas, the Messiah comes. 
but he's not going to ride a white horse of conquest. He's going to ride a donkey. He's not going to be a king. He's going to be a carpenter. He's not going to save you from your taxes. He's going to save you from your sin. And although it may not be your felt need, it is your real need. Sending anything else, anything else, is just rearranging the furniture. So thank God. Christmas is good news. Christmas is the best news. Christmas is the merriest news, isn't it? I want you to bow your heads and we'll pray. Lord, every once in a while we see with clarity what we need most. And we can get a little confused about that, Lord, we admit it. Because we get overwhelmed with our own situational needs and we can sometimes forget the big one. Lord, not a single person in this room would ever claim that they're perfect in every way. They've never messed up. And Lord, you saw us in that sinful state, separated from you, imperfect and unholy. And you chose to take away the distance between us and you by sending what we needed most, a Savior. Thank you. Thank you for relieving, paying the debt that separated us from you. To make it so we can walk into your presence received and cleansed and holy by the blood of Jesus. Thank you so much for the brilliance, the wisdom of Christmas. God, help us to live with greater clarity than ever before that what we needed most was a Savior and you sent him. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Christmas. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.